I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to the BH Nutrition Podcast. Today we have a well, an Instagram Q&A, because this is the only place we kind of put the, the questions out, but you can go onto our website and ask them. But we've got some wicked questions. People have popped in on the question sticker last week, and we were meant to be joined by Chloe and Harriet, but unfortunately, they both can't make it. So we have the pleasure of just myself and Coach Luke. Luke, how are you, mate? Thank you, man. Yeah, um, I mean, without this being an insult, I'm a bit sad it's just the two of us, but... Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know yeah. But uh, what can you do? Let's crack on. Uh, we've got we've got quite a few questions. Yeah, we've got quite a few questions to get through today. So um, we've got some some we've got seven questions. We're going to rattle through them. Hopefully, provide some uh, some useful insight into these. So um, what should we start with, Luke? Which one should we get in with? Uh, okay, we've got one from Chloe Godby. Chloe underscore Godby. How to deal with a plateau in a fat loss? I think this is a very common one, and that we kind of see. So, mate, you got any quick tips on this? And I think that the first thing to kind of try and identify is what is causing that plateau ultimately. And there could be a couple of things that are causing the plateau. It could be kind of a, a dip in adherence. And it might just be, we, we see that quite often. Um, if you're following a bat loss plan for a long period of time, uh, the longer, the harder it gets to be that honest and things kind of start to slip by the wayside. You might end up eating um, a little bit more than you are. Cracking might just kind of drop down a little bit. And it could be a case of that. It could be a case of um, a plateau because it isn't necessarily as on point as it would be. Um, other reasons for kind of plateauing could also be uh, a little bit of kind of that metabolic adaptation creeping in as well, where we yeah. know that the longer you spend in a deficit, the more likely your body is to make changes to reduce your expenditure subconsciously, consciously. Um, that's probably down a little bit over long periods of time. And it could be that that has happened and that now you're eating kind of the same as you were eating before. Um, but because expenditures drop, because your sessions aren't, you aren't able to hit them as hard as you can. Uh, you might yeah. be fidgeting a little bit less, that kind of stuff. It might mean that you're actually kind of at almost a new maintenance. Um, and there's a couple of ways to go about these things. And I think for both of those situations where you might have dropped off on adherence or where this kind of adaptation might have happened, I believe that the best thing to do is to potentially take a little bit of a diet break or mm. a slightly 
high increase of calories for a short period of time because something is clearly kind of not working with regards to that. And um, the reason I say, hey, go straight to just taking intake down, take it down, take it down, take it down, is because if you're already struggling with adherence, potentially at a low intake, you're going to struggle even more at an even lower one. And it could just be that you need a bit of a reset. Um, similar sort of thing with the adaptation side of things. There's only so much you can keep taking intake down. It could be, yeah, exactly. you know, if you take it down an extra 200 calories, the same thing will happen in X amount of weeks. And then you'll take it down again and you'll take it down again. And then you end up eating 800 calories a day or whatever ridiculous number it might be and just struggling and just feeling terrible and lose weight if you eat 800 calories a day. But that is not something that we would advise anybody at all to do. So by having a little bit of potentially a diet break for like a week um, and not necessarily diet break, meaning go crazy, but just eating yeah, more more like a kind of maintenance amount of food and potentially that kind of a thing where you are then able to sort of reset and attack it again with potentially the same targets of before, but maybe expenditures then come up because you've had that time to eat normally, to train normally, to keep attacking sessions. And um, that would kind of go about it. Liam, any kind of more thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely. I think you've hit two points there, which are really good, that extended calorie deficits, extended chronic dieting is often where plateaus rear their head. Now, what we do is that uh, we don't necessarily, like I say, diet breaks are not something that you just can, yeah, it's not like a holiday. You're just going to eat pizza for lunch. It's it's about increasing your intake. You don't have to do that every day. You can do that on two, three, four days a week and just your training days. And what that does is it just provides your body with a little bit more energy so that your output increases, you know, and your metabolism increases. Like your your hunger levels are, are less. And, you know, say if you took a bird's eye view, maybe you are being really, really good Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday or Monday to Thursday and actually sometimes you know it's these little sneaky things that that we don't necessarily know that are just shifting us or taking us over you know that uh, you know not putting us into a calorie deficit so what I would suggest like you say is is to take that little bit of time and increase on certain days for a short period of time week two weeks maybe this is what we do in our programs we have four weeks of dieting and then we increase into for for two weeks even if people are making progress because an increase in your intake will increase your output. So how to deal with plateau and fat loss? You can increase your output as well. This is another way to create uh, you know, stress or adaptation in the body. It's not all about just removing the amount of food that you eat or lowering the amount of food you can eat. You can increase your intake. Now, if you, for example, ate an extra 120 calories from a snack just before your workout, this is going to give you a little bit more, probably going to help you to train better which then creates a better stimulus and a better adaptation across three, four, five sessions that week, which then helps you to break through that fat loss. Okay, it helps you to break through whatever, you know, kind of thing that you're trying to achieve. So, you know, like it's, it's uh, without knowing like, you know, how long you've been dieting, without knowing your journey, without knowing how much weight you've lost, without knowing some of these details, it's quite challenging to do. Uh, but if you've been chronically dieting, I would definitely say you have a little increase. If you haven't been dieting for that long, I would look at adherence because it's probably something there that you're not in a calorie deficit if you've hit a plateau. Now, the longer that you diet, you have to understand that these periods where your body doesn't change, it's like weight loss is in linear. So it will plateau for you know periods of time and it's often being consistent with what you're doing. And then you see a little bit of a jump. So yeah, this is this is what... 
this is what we often see. And it's really challenging to, to kind of do because we do get frustrated and we want this progress quickly. And this is why people diet, you know, very aggressively because they want very fast results. So hopefully that's not, not too much of a, a long-winded answer. It's about identifying, being really honest. I think that's probably the first one is that actually are you in a deficit for, for a consistent amount of time? You know, across the week, take bird's eye view of your diet and look at it across a one week, two week, three week period. And, uh, and then see if you are in a deficit. If you're not, then I would look to try and increase your in- output. That for me is always, I don't know about you, Lou, it's a much more sustainable way to be able to break through a fat plateau or to continually kind of feel good or changing your body is to try and to increase your output. And that can come from fueling it better, can become from changing the type of stimulus to, to, to create a novel stimulus in the body. And so uh, these types of things are what you need to kind of look at. So Chloe, I hope that hope that's kind of helped. But uh, if you do need any more help with a bit more detail, then just reach out to us uh, and provide us with a bit more detail. And then we can we can definitely that go onto the website or Instagram. So uh, yeah, good stuff. Kind of leads on to the next one from Selena. Uh, and this is, can you change your body comp at maintenance? Like even when you have training experience. So I guess we're kind of talking about here is like a recomposition. I think that's what she's asking. Where a recomposition is where you're losing fat and gaining muscle. So this, for me, you know, in the research, I think we posted about it a while back. There was an amazing study. I can't remember it now. I should do my research on body recomposition. And it can happen. You can lose fat and gain muscle. There is just a few, obviously, important factors to take into consideration. One of them is not having that much training experience. So your training age being quite low, you can do this. If you have a lot of a training experience, then you can do it. You probably have just got to be incredibly detailed with the amount of, with your, with your calories and consistency and uh, the correct type of training. So you can do it. Uh, it's just, we don't really adhere to bulking and cutting cycles. It's not really what we do at pH. So we like to kind of play a bit more of the medium to long-term game. And doing that, you can change your body composition at maintenance. What it does come down to is often timing of, of your nutrition. Okay, so I, I spoke about uh, one thing where nutrient timing doesn't matter for body composition, but for, but for performance, it does. And if you're looking at changing your body composition at maintenance, you've got to be making sure that your training is still progressively overloading. Like you've got to be making sure that you're seeing progress in your training. If you're not doing that, and you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna hit a bit of a plateau, similar to what Chloe is talking about. So I would say you can do it. Calculate your calories. You probably got to be a bit more detailed than if you're trying to gain or or, or kind of cut down. Uh, but I would look at the timing of it, timing and fueling your training, because if you're just struggling through, and you're not going to see progress in the training, which then again is not going to lead to a change or the correct stimulus to change your body. What's your thoughts on that, mate? Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, with the question kind of being, can you change body comp at maintenance? The answer is unequivocally yes. Yes, you can. But as you said, like it, it is harder and it gets harder the more training experience you have. Um, like you said, a, a couple of uh, very kind of and accurate situations where it's easier to change your body composition at maintenance than they are um, if you're training. Uh, if you've potentially time away from training and are coming back to it, then it becomes a lot easier as well. And then there's obviously the elephant in the room that is anabolic steroids that make it easier as well. 
Um, but if your sport has been training for a long period of time, uh, it does become much harder. And it is that long game, definitely. And it is possible, but it takes more time. Um, and it means that everything, like Liam has said, has got to be on point. And yeah, just to reiterate, training needs to be golden there as well and fueling that training because training is what creating that stimulus and that goes by the wayside then it's not going to happen and at all really so it definitely can be done but as you say harder to do and needs you to be a lot more kind of dialed in for longer periods of time as well yeah it does two things one thing for both of those is a novel stimulus Mm. and what we're talking about here is something that it is Again, we're nutritionists, so I'm telling people how to program. But when you're looking at doing something for an extended period of time, shocking the body by not being crazy, but just changing up the stimulus can make a real difference in terms of your uh, getting out of the plateau. So if you're, if you're finding that you're not making progress, then doing something different. So that could be changing rep ranges. It could be uh, decreasing weight, increasing reps. You know, it could be doing more strength work. You know, it could be slightly increasing volume. It could be slightly decreasing volume. It could be something you're doing completely different. So if you're doing CrossFit, you could be going, doing a bit more bodybuilding. You could do a squat cycle. You could do climbing. Do you know what I mean? You could, do, you could do anything. But that novel stimulus sometimes is needed just if people are finding that they're just kind of drifting through. And with CrossFit, I think it's great because we can always then just shift our focus onto something slightly different. You know, we can do... A little bit more weightlifting instead of metcons. We can do metcons instead of weightlifting, or we can do a bit more strength stuff. You know, so I, I think there's always a little bit if you're doing CrossFit for that, and if you're in more endurance-based stuff, then it might be just doing a bit more strength work, or you know, taking the intensity down, sorry, the intensity up and the volume down. So like, look at that if you're if you're hitting the plateau, and that can really help with changing your body composition when you're at maintenance from a training perspective. Cool. Right, let's uh, move on to the next one, which is from Charlene8. Uh, this is pretty uh, a common question that we get. Trying to balance my hormones. Any tips, please? Now, Charlene, uh, like this is really common. Like, you, you know, this is, a, this is probably something that a lot of people want to ask. And balancing your hormones is a very blanket term. So what we want to do is try and break this down and make it really simple for people to kind of be like, if you feel that your hormones are imbalanced, then hopefully this is going to give you a bit of, bit of structure. Our hormones are in a constant state flux. Like we're always trying to balance them. Okay. It's not that like, a, a, you know, a single thing can balance all of your hormones. What you need to understand is what's happening in your physiology. Okay. Like why do you think that your hormones are out of balance? Is it that your energy levels are all over the place? Is it that your feel that your you know thyroid or your you know like estrogen, your testosterone, if you're your male, like any of these types of things will like there's signs and symptoms of having higher levels of these and having low levels of these. So if you're experiencing these symptoms, then what you're having to try and do is look at the fundamentals first. Probably the number one thing for me is eating enough and sleeping enough. All too often, like people think that their hormones are out of balance because they're probably, they're a regular pattern. Like this is shift working. Like I've used them as an example because it's really hard to, to kind of stay on track. But saying that your hormones are out of balance, like probably Instagram gurus and people that are trying to sell you some form of supplement that probably going to say that. But it's not really what's happening. 
like there might be something that's a little little suppressed. Hormones might be insufficient. Then you know you might have higher levels of something. But this can be down to multiple factors. Okay, you can't just go flick a switch and balance your hormone. You've got to look at you know these fundamentals. Eating enough and sleeping enough is probably the most fundamental ones. Then I would look at treating any nutrition deficiencies. Okay, so this comes down to getting some blood work done. And so if people are going, oh, I need to balance my hormones, I would go, cool, show me your blood work. And if they haven't got any blood work, how do you know what, what if your hormones are out of balance? It might be that you just don't eat breakfast and that you fast for 20 hours a day and you go, well, my hormones are out of balance because I've got no energy or I can't concentrate. Probably because you haven't eaten enough. So we need to, I think we need to stop saying, like, my hormones are out of whack, my balance. Show me your blood work and show me what you're deficient in. Show me what your hormones are doing at this moment in time. And then we can put an intervention in. We can treat vitamin D deficiencies. We can treat zinc, magnesium, omegas. We can look at thyroid levels. We can look at estrogen levels. We can look at what's happening from a cortisol point of view, from stress hormones, testosterone. We can look at these and put a plan in place to number one, treat any deficiencies and insufficiencies. And then look at the fundamentals from, from a sleep, lifestyle, nutrition perspective. For me, that's what I would do. Go to Omnos. Go to our link in our, in our website. Go to Omnos. They've got an amazing product at the moment called Wellness 360, which tests everything. Hormone profile, deficiencies, really good, complete blood work count as well. And what that does is it gives you an understanding of, okay, what's out of whack, but also what's deficient. So rather than just getting a single hormone tested, you don't know what's you don't know what you're deficient in or insufficient. So this is what I would do. Get some blood work. If you have got that blood work, then look at what's what's out of balance and then try to kind of, you know, plug those gaps. So for me, that's what I would do. But regardless, if you don't want to spend any money on that, I would just get making sure that you're sleeping well, walking well and uh, and have kind of a nice balance in terms of your you know, your intake. That sound all right, Vicky? Yeah, sounds spot on to me, man. I mean show show me your blood work is uh, a fantastic phrase that you've used there so yeah and it is that it's it's yeah. knowing it's people that that claim that, that there is something going on without knowing for sure and, and you've always got to identify what is going on first and obviously blood work is a very useful tool to do that for sure um yeah i think yeah. that's very well put and it's much more accessible these days yeah you know like you don't have to go to the gp and really kind of sell them a picture to get everything done and if they do, they're normally only going to test like individual things. So I would definitely use Omnos to get that. We've got 10% off in our, on our website. So check them out. Cool. Luki, do you want to take this one from Anna? Uh, does creatine cause directly or indirectly uh, acne? And like, you know, she's put EG increasing certain hormones. So with this one, um, you, and, and at current, the research around creatine and acne is that creatine, there is no, no, no link, no link between creatine or acne, um, not necessarily research within this as well. It's a good question. The reason it's a good question um, is because it's a question that I've kind of heard before. And, and the reason behind this is creatine works in a number of different ways. And there is some evidence to show that creatine um, can cause increase in levels of testosterone um, and in different Different supplements uh, where people might be taking in more testosterone, i.e. if they're supplementing with testosterone, then things like acne mm-hmm. can occur because of that, because of kind of this disruption in uh, hormones and that testosterone levels. But with creatine, um, at this point in time with the research that we have, there is no 
link between the two of, of creatine causing acne. So it's one of those where you can kind of see the mechanism of action potentially with it leading to an increased level of testosterone um, and other potential hormones as well. But it's one of those where I can quite comfortably know um, and there's going to be no yeah. kind of real danger of that. Obviously, there's there's always cases where there might be a correlation or someone out there with their own personal experience might have started taking creatine and seen that they've started getting acne, but that obviously does not necessarily mean that one has caused the other. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely, mate. I think with that, like, there's, there's numerous causes of it. So, yeah, again, the zinc deficiency, diet can play a massive role in it. So, it's good to kind of put that one to bed because it's pretty unequivocal, like you say, the evidence to say, like, no, there's no direct link uh, to it. Anna, you're good to supplement with creatine. And if you have done that and cause, you know, acne, then I would definitely be trying to look at any other triggers that might have been contributing to it. Cool. Next one. We've got two from Ash Grossman of the London Lift podcast. If you haven't ever listened to that, go and check that one out. First one, Lukey, do you want to take this one? Is coffee on an empty stomach bad? Probably something that's really common. It's bad. Is it bad? I drink coffee on end stomach in the morning. Is it bad for me, Luke? This is one of those where we need to question the word bad. What do we mean by bad? Um, and I think there's a couple ways that we can go with this from from the question from Ash. Um, probably the reason as to why one might think that coffee on an empty stomach is bad is the potential impact that coffee can have on your digestive system. Um, we know that caffeine can actually result in an increase in stomach acid um, and it can cause heartburn and stuff like that. and it's likely that that is more it's it's more likely to occur on an empty stomach than when the stomach's already got kind of stuff lining it that kind of thing as well so potentially that could be an issue for some people um, but that is not really an issue for all people that makes sense um, a lot of people can tolerate caffeine and the digestive issues that it potentially may cause and necessarily bad uh, I know Ash is all up on the literature around this kind of stuff as well. And I know that there was even a study um, back in that did not necessarily look at the gastric side of things. It looked at um, blood glucose. And there was a study in the British Journal of Nutrition um, that found that on an empty stomach actually reduced glucose sensitivity. Um, mm. At this point, from from what I know of, there's a couple of other studies that have kind of said similar sort of things but nothing super concrete to say that this is something that we should be super concerned about. Um, I think it's one of those yeah. where if that's something that you are potentially worried about, you can dive into the uh, study. I'm going to link in the show notes as well. So British Journal of Nutrition one there. Um, but I think for most, we don't necessarily need to worry about this. It's probably going to be more of an individual thing. As I say, if individually you feel it affects your digestive system, you feel it uh, makes you feel more wired as well, because there could be that aspect where... yeah. If your tolerance to caffeine is a little bit kind of higher and a little bit higher on an empty stomach or low even and a little bit lower on an empty stomach as well, then it could lead to kind of more of those feelings of jitters and anxiety that caffeine within yeah. coffee can cause as well. Um, but I go down the this is an individual response one because the evidence at the minute in the research is not conclusive to say to a whole kind of population group that coffee is bad on an empty stomach. So it's not. Individually, Liam, you said obviously you have it on an empty stomach and you, I'm assuming, are golden, right? Um, and there's also yeah. some people that aren't. So it's that individual aspect. It really, it, I think it is. And uh, I definitely noticed that if I drink, if I drink more than one, 
on an empty stomach, I definitely notice that I feel the effects of caffeine a lot harder. Like a lot, like I feel jittery. I feel, I don't know, I feel maybe I feel a bit sick. Like I, I, it doesn't work well with me. But uh, I know a lot of people that do intermittent fasting would utilize caffeine, obviously, throughout the morning. Black coffee, you know, it, it's quite a common thing. So indeed, people, again, are drinking it on an empty stomach. And the ones that I work with, more people that have experienced it, then they're, they're fine with it. You know, it's kind of a beneficial thing for them. I think, like you say, it's if you're seeing the reaction from a digestive system, or I think probably more of a concern some, for some people is like the way that it, like, affects their you know their their clarity their their concentration the way that they're feeling is from from a cognitive point of view i think that's a big thing to to be aware of to see these symptoms you know because i think that if you don't if you've not got any food in you then the effects of caffeine can be kind of heightened if you haven't got any anything in your stomach so no it's not bad i didn't find any research that had a detrimental effect did you it's that kind of one that I mentioned, obviously, saying that it can potentially affect sensitivity dose. But as I say, that's not necessarily yeah. a bad thing. And it's one, one yeah. study at the minute. So, Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, there wasn't that much out there. So, no, Ash, if uh, you like the copy on that stomach and if you're empl- employing a little bit of fasting and uh, you, know, you want to pug the gap with it, then crack on, mate. You're all good. And it kind of follows on to for his next question. He said, my gran has acid reflux. Can she improve it with food choices? And when people say my gran has it, I'm not sure if it's him or if it actually okay. is his gran. Uh, so, uh, but it, it, it kind of, you mentioned it there. Sometimes you can get a bit of an increase in stomach acid. Now, this is quite common, you know, that maybe people have heard of this, like heartburn or GERD, like, you know, gastroesophageal reflux. Like these, these things are relatively common. And I think actually that people kind of just accept having a little bit of heartburn or a bit of like indigestion or something like that kind of food repeating on them. And I don't think this should be the, the norm. So when we get this, you know, sometimes it can be, uh, if you've actually got GERD, then I would definitely go and see the doctor. You know, if you're getting it very frequently after most meals or most foods, then definitely go to your GP and you get this checked out. Uh, if you're getting it at kind of, you know, just sporadic times, then try to be aware, is it at the same time of the day? Is it with the same type of meal, same foods? And look if that's just a trigger for you, whether you're eating in a very stressful environment at work, hunched over your desk, you know, plowing through the rest of your, you know, your lunchtime trying to get the work done. And actually it's nothing to do with the food. It's nothing to do with anything you're eating. It's just the environment that you're eating and, and the actual place that you're eating, scrunching your stomach down, you're wolfing it down at a really high pace. Now, don't know if his grand's doing that, but she might be seated, you know, like, you know, hunched over, you know, eating quite quickly or whatever. Look at the environment. Now, acid reflux kind of happens when we think it's like, a, you know, the, like a little bit of the kind of sphincter. In, you know, there's certain foods that kind of, uh, kind of come back up, like regurgitate through the cup to the esophagus. And it can be due to that, but it can also, be due to low stomach acid. So this is a bit of a weird one. Okay, we can't actually kind of pinpoint our finger and say, yes, if you do this, it's going to affect it. Okay, so it does take a little bit of a trial and error, Ash, and Ash is grand. So it's a bit of a challenging thing. There are some foods that you want to maybe 
maybe limit, okay? So really high fatty foods, okay? And often when they're combined with carbohydrate. So you're maybe looking at kind of like pastries or you're looking at like kind of curries that have like oil, oil and you're having any kind of deep fried or breaded, you know, with again, like a lot of carbohydrates that or donuts, you know, these types of things, you know, cookies and biscuits, stuff like these that have really high fat content and high carbohydrate content. This can often cause a bit of acid reflux, spicy foods, you know, things like caffeine. Cool. So, you know, this type of thing is uh, want to kind of maybe limit. I would advise, and this is something that the older population I think struggle with, is that eating smaller meals more frequently rather than just like big, large meals. And this, again, it goes back to kind of looking at why, when, when you're getting this. Is it, is it just in the evening when we often eat our largest meal? And you might want to be thinking about can we change that to kind of spread the intake out of the day? So you're not placing a massive load on your digestive system late at night when you're not potentially going to be moving that much afterwards. So that would be a big thing. Older population, I definitely feel that that's an issue uh, that, that maybe can cause some uh, acid reflux. So again, looking at when that happens across the day and trying to move and walk after a meal. Okay, you get a bit of a lower blood glucose response or postprandial increase in blood glucose. So like if you're eating lunch, try to go for a walk after if you're eating dinner like again try to kind of move around and not just kind of sit straight away like this has a, a good effect on digestion and something that we probably you know don't do enough of i think sometimes we're at lunch we can kind of walk beforehand and then we get our lunch and we sit down we can try and do a little bit of a walk afterwards i think it's a big big uh big help there are some foods you know such as like like if you google it or if you look around i'm sure sure we have is you know, lemon water and all of this things that they kept put out. But often the case, it's, again, it comes back down to just eating a balanced diet. You know, foods with good fiber and so like, you know, potatoes and root veggies and oats and, and you know, these types of things which kind of uh, are kind of good for the digestive system on the whole. These, these really, really help. Uh, if you find that your stools are a little bit fatty, so you kind of get globules of fat in the stool or that you have kind of constipation or your digestive system doesn't really feel like it's working. This might, again, might be down to kind of low stomach acid or low digestive, like kind of motility or, or lack of digestive enzymes. This is when I would suggest that you add a digestive enzyme in. You can get ones with HCL, so like stomach acid, hydrochloric acid in. Uh, this is going to be something that I think is beneficial uh, as we age. Digestive system, digestive enzymes lower, are kind of lower, gastric motility is lower. So this might be something that, you know, can really help to kind of break down the food that Ash, that, that your grand's eating. So I would take on with HCL, digestive enzymes, MLAs, proteases. So these things can help kind of break down protein, carbs and fats. Uh, but if you're getting that kind of like fattier stored or you're getting really kind of issues with constipation, that's what I would uh, suggest. Hope that's, hope that's helped. Ash, uh, again, just trying to figure out what are the signs and symptoms and kind of hopefully following that, uh, one of those interventions. Cool. Let's move on to, do you know what? We're probably going to flip it back to the older uh, calories and macros and surpluses. We've got one from Jordan. Well, Jord, I'm, I'm guessing then, Jordan, Jordan X N Burns. I've been in a surplus to gain strength. What should I do next? The goal is performance. Luki, what are we saying? Sweet. So, uh, good question. From, I know Jordan. I've worked with Jordan before. I 
big fan of Jordan. Uh, just wanted to get that out there. Um, but yeah, I know he's been in a surplus to gain strength. And the thing that I love about um, when you're looking to get and then moving to performance is that more often than not, sometimes the surplus that you are currently in to gain some strength, to gain a bit of muscle can then become maintenance. That makes sense. Um, a lot of the time yeah, when yeah. we put on muscle mass, if we've been in a surplus to gain strength, we put on muscle mass, we know that if there's more of us and we have more muscle, actually means we need more energy to maintain that muscle mass that we built to maintain um, and it can end up pace of the food that you were eating before that was leading to you putting on mass can then become maintenance just because as i say of that increase in muscle mass if your strength's gone up your expenditure during workouts might be up and you might find jordan that there's almost a natural kind of plateau but plateaus got more negative connotations um but a settling point where you're eating to gain strength you're in a surplus and lo and behold, after a period of time, that may then become a maintenance and it may then become an amount of food that you feel good eating on, that you feel fueled. Mm. Because more often than not, well, in fact, not more often than not, all the time, a surplus is more food than we need. And when that becomes, hey, the right amount that we need for what we're doing, it can be quite a nice, simple thing. Can be. I'm saying can be because yeah. what also could happen is it still remains a surplus and you could end up just keep on putting on mass that you don't necessarily want because you want to sit at a nice, comfortable way, a good, comfortable body composition, body performance as well. Um, so it may mean that intake down slightly. The way I would do yeah. this, though, is with that slightly aspect of things. Because if you're used to a certain amount of food in your training sessions in and around, you want to make sure that you kind of keep it around. And this is where those kind of little changes, taking away sort of 100 calories or 200 calories to get to that maintenance point, if you don't necessarily find you settle at a maintenance point anyway, um, can be really handy. So I'd say doing that on kind of those days when you are not needing to perform at your best. So rest days, taking intake down by a little bit, 100, yeah. 200 calories in as easy a possible way and see where that puts you in terms of weight changes. See if you end up putting on weight still or if it starts to, drop um or maintain and also see how you feel from a recovery and an energy point of view doing that as well and coming back to those things and um, because the chance that if you're in a huge surplus now it may just be worth putting you in a slightly smaller surplus but still a surplus for a few weeks or whatever and that's when that kind of nice little plateau could happen uh, that's kind of my thoughts on that liam what about yourself yeah mate absolutely spot on absolutely spot on it's so common that on our programs, we put people into a very, you know, slight surplus and they go, this is so much food. I feel so full, you know, and uh, I'm like, look, just stick at it. You know, four or five days in, they're like, yep, this feels normal. <laughs> this is, this is totally cool now. I, I kind of feel like sometimes I need a little bit more food. Yeah. If, if you've done it correctly, uh, then there shouldn't be too much to change. That's the key thing. Like if you're in a massive surplus, then you're probably going to have to change quite a lot. But uh, again, Doing what Lucky said, just dropping at a certain time. The only thing I would say is just making sure that you're taking this away from your workout window. Like, say, rest days, making sure that you're taking it away sensibly as well. So often you want to be, you're going to be used to eating a little bit more food. So you might want to drop out a little bit of fat, which isn't going to change the kind of size of your meals too much. You want to be maybe kind of dropping just a little bit more of the energy-dense carbohydrates. So some of the kind of snacks, stuff like this, like that's that's actually not much volume. But it's going to make a very small change in your overall intake. It isn't going to actually kind of be like, oh my God, I've got like half of the plate I used to eat. You know, so um, yeah, if you can do that, bud, 
and then yeah, just keep keep fueling that training and keep and keep getting keep getting stronger because that's going to lead to an increase in performance. So yeah, not too much to change. Don't be drastic on that, and I think you're good to go. Cool. Last two, last two questions. We have one from Else Fitness. Uh, how to gain enough protein? Get enough protein and cows for muscle gain when wanting to go vegetarian. Look, gaining enough calories and protein that it's the fundamentals. Do you know what I mean? Like it isn't isn't uh, isn't too much of a chain, and um, we want to go vegetarian. You've just got to be a little bit more sensible with your aware of your higher protein and more energy dense food sources. Whereas if you're non vegan, non vegetarian, then you can be a little bit more lax because there's a lot of single high protein foods, you know, meats and, and stuff like this. So I think it's it's a lot easier when you're vegetarian, you just need to be like, look, here are my staples. You know, I need to make sure that I'm getting these eggs, tofu. You know, dairy is a really good one. You know, if you're vegetarian, like you're using yogurts, using milks, you know, this, this type of thing, I would probably invest in a really good protein powder and uh, ensuring that then you can, then, the, you know, then you can kind of supplement whenever you need. Gaining or getting enough for muscle gain is a lot easier on a vegetarian or vegan diet than dieting on a vegetarian or vegan diet. So you're in a, you're in a better place kind of thing because when we're trying to get enough protein, often that comes along with carbohydrates, comes along with fats when we're vegetarian. So thinking eggs, thinking nuts, thinking seeds, you know, thinking lentils, thinking pulses and beans. These all have pro- uh, these all have carbohydrates and fats along with the protein. So actually, if you're just kind of being sensible with your choices, you shouldn't have an issue hitting your calories. You just need to make sure that you have your higher protein foods nailed down. Like I said, Get those, get that dairy, get those egg whites, get that kind of, you know, plant-based sources such as tofu, seitan, you know, these types of things. And, uh, you know, making sure that you're building around dairy, milks, using liquid nutrition such as shakes and, and milks. And I think you won't be too far off if you're kind of doing that. And then, like I say, having then the protein and fat sources such as nuts and seeds and things like this. So I think you'll be okay to do it. Thing is, you just need to calculate your outs first uh, and then break it down. But again, I think sometimes when I've been, I've done vegan and vegetarian before, actually gives you a little bit of discipline because you can kind of be like, I haven't got this massive amount of choice. So it kind of hones in your choices a little bit. And as long as you kind of have the variety around that, I think you're good to go. Cool. Last one. We have one from uh, Ethan H94. Talk about team sports. Uh, so pre, during, best isotonic drink and then post so that's the actual thing. So here we go. Pre, during, best isotonic drink, post with long journeys home. I'm guessing he's saying what's the best pre isotonic drink and during like his, you know, whatever he's playing with, playing rugby or football or hockey or whatever. And then what to do post after a long journey home. So look, there's a lot of isotonic drinks. They're all relatively similar, if I'm honest. Uh, I would advise that you can get one with uh, like uh, electrolytes in it as well. So, you know, a lot, a lot of them have that in now. So it's not just like a carbohydrate one, you know, like the old, old school Lucasade, it's just like loads of carbs. You know, you can get ones now with kind of B vitamin, but I would just focus on getting one with a little bit of electrolytes and a little bit of carbohydrates. And most of these Lucasades, like this, what I would steer clear of is using anything just 
energy drink, just caffeine with like no carbohydrates and no electrolytes in it. So making sure that you're building it around that. Now you can make your own one up if you want to. Like you can use a electrolyte tablet, you can put carbohydrate powder in there, you know, such as a, a cyclic dextrin or, or maltodextrin. Like, you know, if you really want to kind of take control of it, but most of them are there. Now I would say that you want to be using water up until around the start of your warm-up. So there's no need to be sipping on a sports drink through the whole day and then, you know, you know just using it through through the warm-up. Water to hydrate and then using this in the warm-up and at half-time. That's what I would suggest. Uh, if you're going to go down an actual protocol that we would use from the warm-up, 500 mil of uh, sports drink before the start of the game, sipping on a little bit more throughout the first half and in certain breaks. Yep. Sorry, excuse me. Then having a, another kind of a 330 mil to 500 mil and a gel at half time and then a gel second half, sipping when you can. Like that's how we kind of advise people to be doing it. What that does is give you a steady stream of carbohydrates from the time that you're going to be active as opposed to just slamming it when you're sitting around waiting for the game to start. Now, post game you know long journeys home again you've got to just be thinking it's quite challenging to kind of get that uh, kind of food in especially if you're driving so use liquid nutrition and i wouldn't I, I would probably say here is where you don't want just protein if you've played a 90 minute game or 80 minute game whatever you're going to be doing and it's a long journey home then stick some oats in there stick some fruit in there and blend up like a bit of a smoothie or have a protein shake and some fruit and a bar and something else you know, and making sure that you are getting that protein and carbohydrate hit post game. That's essential. You know, making sure that you it, it isn't just very low calorie and just like 20 grams of protein. Like if you've got a long journey home, you're probably with the chance of actually eating a proper solid meal going to be in a pushback. And this is when we would advise you to making sure that you get the uh, protein and carbohydrates in. Simple thing, blend some oats, blend a banana, blend some berries, blend some spinach into a protein shake. And uh, sip on that on the, on the long journey home. Uh, or if you don't want to, mix a shake, take a bar with a piece of fruit. So you can, you can be, don't overcomplicate that. And that would be the, the biggest thing for me. So uh, you should find that you can kind of recover efficiently and then be ready to eat your meal when you get on the other side rather than kind of just constantly snacking through that whole time or under eating and impairing your recovery. So hope that helps. Lovely. I think, we're, I think we're good, Luke. There was quite a lot of questions in there, actually, in the end. Yeah. I hope we've been uh, been useful in terms of it, uh, providing uh, people with a little bit of insight in terms of these questions, because this is the stuff that we want to we wanna hear from you guys. You know, we're, we're going to be doing one of these once a week. Me and Luke do the research review as well. We do a weekly roundup. So these are really useful, we find. And answering your questions, you know, is what we want because most people will be sitting on these questions as well. You know, a lot of the time you'd be... It's, it's, very common thing to, to hear from a lot of people that want to know about flat loss plateaus that want to know about hormones that want to know about kind of digestive issues and caffeine so thank you so much for everyone that put their question on to the instagram lukey thanks so much for joining us buddy just me and you on the uh and so hopefully we're going to round up some of the other coaches for the next one and give a bit of uh, a different insight but um cool lovely stuff well um Awesome stuff, yeah. So thanks, guys. If you feel that uh, you've got anything else that you want us to cover, then pop us a, a little a DM or go onto the website and, and uh, 
a little question on the submit question and we will cover this like you say once a week if you like this please share it with your mates please rate and review the podcast and any other thing that you want us to cover any topic any guests that you want us to kind of bring on and just let us know There's some awesome stuff coming up over the next few weeks thank you so much for listening and we will catch you on the next podcast planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices pack your bags with high quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with quince go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365 day returns Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.